Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. Good afternoon. What's going on, Cryptocurrent crew? My name is Stephen Miller, and you are watching Cryptocurrent Live, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest in crypto every single Tuesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I, of course, am always joined by my co-host. That would be Chris Corneros. Chris, how are we doing? Doing great, Steve. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We got a big show ahead today. Obviously, we're skipping the two ups and we're just going straight into our content. We've got a really great show ahead. But for those of you that are joining us just for the very first time, I ask of you only one thing, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. We want to make sure that you're coming back around every single Tuesday and Thursday with us to get what exactly is going on in the market, ask some big questions that are on your mind about crypto, and ultimately help the beginners and even the people in the intermediate category become a little bit more expert over time. So today on the show, we got a couple big topics that we're talking about in um, our big news segment, which is buy, sell, or hodl. Um, but we are talking about one very big one today, and that is leverage trading on Coinbase. So, Chris, what do you say we get into buy, sell, or hodl? Let's dive right in. Buy, buy sell, sell, or hodl, hodl. So, like I was saying, every single week, we like to bring you two times a week buy, sell, or hodl, where we break down the latest and greatest news and give you our opinions on whether we think it's a bullish bit of news. Uh, bearish news, or if it's just something you got to watch and let develop in the HODL category. So the first piece of news that we have for you this week is going by the title, Polygon burning like it's EIP-1559. That, of course, relating back to Ethereum um, rolling out EIP-1559 at the tail end of last year in the uh, progression towards launching ETH 2.0. Polygon has their own version of EIP-1559 in their own London hard fork. It's coming to Polygon on January 18th. Basically, the long and the short of this is they're going to be um, introducing a deflationary mechanism into Matic. So the annual burn rate is going to be approximately 0.27% of Matic. So officially, your Polygon Matic is going to become deflationary. But this is not going to lower transaction fees. So what the network just experienced with the Sunflower game in spiking price, it's not going to cancel out the fees. They did patch that so that there wouldn't be that error in the future. But as time goes on and more people go on to Polygon as users, the network um, will eventually start seeing a rise in prices and it has to be accepted. Because frankly, the fees only go up if the network's being used. So it's important to understand that. Basically, it's going to, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to eliminate first price auctions uh, for fee calculation. 
and then introduce a discrete base fee. And that is what's going to officially be burned on every transaction. So Chris, as a very technical description of what's going on with this um, Polygon burn, please do me a favor. Tell our listeners a little bit more about why they should care about this. All right. So basically, the TLDR here is going to be that what Polygon is doing is going to, like Steve said, add a deflationary aspect to the Polygon coin, right? The Polygon currency. And it does that by instead of having, you know, kind of a variable transaction price, it introduces this base price. So all transactions will have it. But then rather than paying that, you know, value out to miners, instead burns it. So yes, miners will see less return here as they're validating new blocks that come through. But the value of Everyone's Matic is going to go up here because there will be less and less as time goes on, which is a good thing for those who are holding it, right? Interested to see, though, how this is going to develop in terms of usage um, because it seems like they are just straight burning Polygon as opposed to how Helium does it, where they have kind of a secondary coin called data credits, and you burn one Helium, you generate, you know, 100,000 data credits, and those are then used uh, for transactions. So... I'm personally going to be hodling on this for that exact reason, Steve. I like deflationary mechanisms, but I'm not sure how it's really going to play out in this scenario. So I think it's going to play out the very same way it's playing out on Ethereum. Eventually, it's going to create a little bit more of a supply shock, um, but that's just my take. I don't necessarily see it as a massive step forward for Polygon, but it is definitely an incremental improvement, which I think will play better for them in the long run. Um, I am by no means selling my Polygon on this news. I think this is a great setup for the future of that network. But if you like this news, do us a favor, like this video. We really appreciate it and it'll help us beat the YouTube algorithm and help get more of this meaningful news out in front of people. So let's move on to our next story, Chris. And this is the big one on our cover this episode. And that is Coinbase is currently feeling risky. The big deal in all of trading, whether you're looking at um, just Coinbase or across other exchanges like Binance or FTX, is always and will forever be leverage trading. And it's the riskiest form of trading out there. So you are basically taking a loan to be able to go out and trade with a larger volume to ultimately make more crypto at the end of the day. That's futures trading. And on Coinbase up until this point, you haven't had that luxury. It's not something that they gave to their users. Why? Because there are a lot of different regulations and licenses that you need to get to be able to do that. So a lot of these great projects like Crypto.com and FTX went out and they acquired um, platforms that allowed for leverage trading. This is the exact situation for Coinbase. They acquired late... I actually believe it was midway through last year, FairX, but that acquisition just closed. So FairX is officially Coinbase's key to offering leverage trading to its customers. Now, FairX has that CFTC approval for futures trading. And ultimately, this is going to allow them to continue to compete with FTX and Crypto.com. So Chris, what do you think about this news? Is it just like about time or is this just the start of something bigger? I think this is... Twofold, right? I definitely think this is, you know, it's about time, but I also think this is the start of something bigger. We've talked a lot about um, Coinbase having 
or NFT trading coming to the platform, right? They're building out their own marketplace. This is, you know, that's how they're competing with the open seas of the crypto world. This is clearly how they're going to compete with FTX and the crypto.coms of the world, right? They need this to stay competitive, especially because they have a pro platform. You have day traders on there and they already give you a lot of those professional tools. So to me, this is, you know, the start of them really fleshing this out and essentially offering everything to professional traders that traders in the stock market have access to. So I'm interested to see what will come next, but also how well received this is, how fleshed out the actual product itself is. The one thing that I do think needs to be said is that a lot of these platforms that offer leverage, once they start offering leverage, they end up having three times more volume than those that do not offer leverage trading. Okay, And that needs to be said because number one, it's going to do some really incredible things for overall market caps that are going to be traded on the platform. But secondly, it's also going to bring a lot more money into the Coinbase platform, which already has, I believe, the largest market share of first-time investors in our country. So to me, I think that's a really, really big deal. And it says a lot for where Coinbase is headed and where our overall market is headed. Yeah, I mean, they have a massive, massive market share, I think. I need to look at the numbers, but they may, they're basically always fighting with FTX and crypto.com for who the top exchanges, I think, in terms of volume, active users, and all that. Whereas Binance, I think, had that for a while. They've completely just been blown away. And so I'm definitely interested, though, to see how this you know, affects their, you know, their bottom line. Is this really going to help Coinbase long term? Or are other platforms going to come out with a better version of this offering? And I think that's the key here. Yep. To me, it's no question. I think we're going to see this just be the start of something much bigger. So let's carry on to our lightning round. So there, of course, are a lot of other really big stories going on in the world of crypto beyond Polygon and Coinbase. But there are two that just came across our desks before we even get into the lightning round. And so we have a bit of breaking news for you today. Breaking news. In the hours just leading up to the show, we have news out from the island nation of Tonga, which if you've not heard of it, it is an island that is just due northeast of New Zealand. Tonga is currently preparing to move towards Bitcoin as legal tender in their country. So we could theoretically be seeing another nation add Bitcoin as legal tender in the very near future. Other piece of news comes from the Elrond Protocol. So Elrond is a Web3 ecosystem. For those who are not totally familiar, it is um, competing with the likes of Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Avalanche, and the like. And Elrond has announced that they have officially today acquired Utrust, which is a protocol um, that is essentially trying to be the decentralized version of an eBay or a PayPal. So a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the world right now, Chris. But why don't you run us through some of these uh, lightning round stories? Yeah, so up first, we have Palau... Venture Capital Fund, they are going to be offering the residency with the help of Cryptic Labs. Um, it's my understanding this is some kind of an incubator, correct, Steve, for up-and-coming stuff? So it is not. Palau is actually another nation. So this is a country that is going to be offering a V residency with the help of Cryptic Labs to essentially allow other people from around the world to take up residency in their country using blockchain. So I was thinking of Palantir. Oh, well, that explains that. <laughs> Here, how about this one? I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the next two. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. So mass exodus from Microsoft and Apple to Meta. Steve and I actually talked about this yesterday. Most of you are probably thinking, why? Facebook or now Meta probably sucks. That's what most people's kind of perception of it is as a company. So you're like, why would anyone want to work there? Well, I happen to know from people I know that work there, it is an incredible company to work for if you are a tech employee. And seeing as Meta is shifting clearly to be a metaverse tech-focused company beyond just social media, it makes sense that you know one of the largest tech companies in the world is going to be pulling in all this top talent. Because at the end of the day, while Apple and Microsoft are doing cool things, it's probably not as exciting as getting to work on the next frontier of internet. So not that surprised by it, but for those that don't know, it probably may or probably will come across as a shock to you. And then after that, the AP, so the Associated Press, is launching photo-focused NFT platform on Polygon, which is really great timing, Steve, because we literally just had Shebangers NFT and Illuminati on the show. So really interesting that this piece of news drops from the AP right after we have another photo-focused NFT project. Yeah, so... So what we're experiencing right now is, honestly, and I, I really do believe this, the beginning of the photo NFT wave. Um, Gary V himself has been calling for it quite frequently across the last month or two, if you follow him. But a lot of other big NFT influencers are also saying that photographers are about to have their moment. Um, so I'm not altogether too surprised by this. The AP also had a really phenomenal NFT launch using the Eternity platform um, midway through last year, reflecting on... I believe it was Iwo Jima. Um, they did a big a big drop through them. So that was pretty remarkable um, documenting that on the blockchain and looking more at the historical perspective of documenting history from the, from the people who were there, whether they are with us now or not. Um, so pretty cool in that regard. Um, but we have another NFT-related story as well coming in, and that is the um, clothing that you wore as a toddler from The Gap. The Gap has decided to drop um, their own Tezos NFTs with physical apparel perks. I think this is really interesting. A lot more um, big big companies have started dropping NFTs through Tezos. I think it's really great for their ecosystem. But to me, the bigger story here is our last one in the lightning round, which is Jack Dorsey announcing that he is officially starting a Bitcoin legal defense fund. Now, you kind of have to ask yourself, why is the founder and yeah, the founder and now CEO of Square slash Block, jumping into having a legal defense fund. Well, the biggest reason is everyone in the world hates Craig Wright, otherwise known as Satoshi Nakamoto. Craig Wright for the longest time claimed he was Satoshi Nakamoto, aka the founder of Bitcoin, but it has been quite oftentimes proved that he is not Satoshi Nakamoto, but alas, he continues to sue anybody and everybody in his path, including Tulip Trading Limited, who is um, a company that basically works in Bitcoin development. So Craig is currently in the process of suing them, and that will be one of the very first companies that the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund will be backing and defending. So hopefully they can um, you know, find some first success with Jack Dorsey and kind of pushing Craig Wright back into the dark corner that he belongs in. So... That's going to do it for the lightning round this week. Love ending on a high note with uh, somebody like Craig Wright. But if you enjoyed this buy, seller, hodl segment, please do us a favor. 
tap the like button or let us know in the comments if you hated all of the news. We even want to know that in the comments. So please let us know. Otherwise, get involved in the chat because we want to hear from you if you have any types of questions that we can answer on this episode. But we are very excited today to move into our next segment, which we've not done in quite a while. So it may be a little bit fresh for those of you that are joining us. And that is a segment where we dive into the newest or hottest coin individually and break it down for you. So we're back to two bulls, one coin. So if this is your first time joining us for uh, an edition of two bulls, one coin, we take this segment to break down an individual project for you to help you understand you know, what it is, how you can get involved with it, or if it really is not worth your time. So today we're breaking down Phantom. And for those that don't know, a quick background on Phantom to make it as simple as simple can be, Phantom is an ecosystem much like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, Cardano, all the way down um, to name an ecosystem, right? And Phantom is, in a lot of ways, very efficient. It is not based on a traditional blockchain architecture. It is using um, an acyclic graph to be um, precise in conjunction with a blockchain. So it's a hybridized system, really interesting tech, but it makes it very low fee as well as extremely fast. So Phantom is the preferred blockchain of a lot of the higher end developers in the crypto world right now. A lot of them are leaning towards Phantom, Avalanche, Polygon, and developing there because they see that as the future. Acyclic graphs especially are a technology that's never gotten a lot of love because it's somewhat seen as a past piece of technology. When in truth, when you combine it with blockchain technology, it's actually a really strong use case. So that's a quick background on it. But Chris, you're the one that understands TA better of the two of us. So talk to me a little bit about TVL because this is a really big selling point for why we need to be looking at, at uh, Phantom today. Yeah, so for those who don't know, TVL stands for Total Value Locked, meaning in this case at least, TVL here means the total you know, value of Phantom locked within the ecosystem. So that means you know, all your DeFi plays or NFT marketplaces, etc. Anything that operates within the Phantom ecosystem, there's now a total of just under $7 billion in Phantom locked in. Meaning that these different projects have invested that much into the ecosystem and are holding it there. And for those who can see the graph, I'll explain it. For those who don't, bear with me as I try to paint a picture for you. So essentially, Phantom is sitting at just about a billion dollars in total value locked until about September. September 1st hit, and then it just kind of started taking off. Spiked up to about $2 billion by mid-September, and then just above 2 towards the end of October. But that's when things got crazy. Because for those who can't see it, that's when the TVL jumped up from about $2 billion to just under $6 billion locked into the ecosystem, which is an ungodly amount of money for a coin, which Steve, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but had basically flown under the radar for quite some time for the bulk of people in crypto. So kind of crazy to think about but it held you know kind of flip-flopped or between 4 and 6 billion 
up until the end of December, beginning of this year now in 2022, where it's now spiked up to just under $7 billion. It's at like 6.98 according to this chart. Yeah, it has absolutely taken off in recent months. And one of the interesting things that you kind of have to start to acknowledge about a protocol is once these values start spiking, it typically precedes a larger run. But in the case of Phantom, if you look at the last three months, uh, from a market cap standpoint, it has been running. So when we talk about you know, what we should be looking forward to, I think that we are about to see a much bigger spike. So in terms of price action, you have to ask the question of like, okay, well, is right now a good time to buy? And I would argue to you that the answer is no. Right now is not a good time to buy because it is right now bumping up against its all-time high. So what you want to be doing is buying on a trend line, um, which is something that has been popularized across the last six to eight months um, by a number of different trading platforms and um, commentators within the crypto space. But we would tell you right now not to be buying specifically Phantom. But what we would recommend is that you investigate the ecosystem. So something to clarify here as we look back at the TVL comments, Chris, is that Phantom has that TVL of 7.7... I'm sorry, not 7.7, of $7 billion in total value locked. But that is just because that is the amount that is currently staked in terms of Phantom. It is not making up for the additional total value locked outside of that from the different platforms that are building on top of Phantom. Steve, I got to cut you off here. I don't know if you've seen the chat, but we may have some more breaking news. Really? Um, yeah, Richard Carthon just dropped in to let us know that someone sold 2.2 thousand WTF airdrops for 850 ETH and then took all of the liquidity. Oh, wow. So I guess this is a really great time to uh, make an apology statement as well to the rest of the cryptocurrent nation because I absolutely posted a um, ref link earlier to this airdrop um, because from everything that I knew about it, this airdrop was completely legit. Um, I actually even looked into the contract myself and there was nothing specifically um, malicious in the contract. So I'm really curious how this all came to pass. So we'll be looking into this a little bit more for you guys as time goes on. Um, very concerning to hear this. So is, is he saying that basically somebody just completely pulled the liquidity? I, it kind of sounds like someone pulled the liquidity from the airdrop that went out. So all the stuff that went out, the liquidity backing it to give it value, it looks like someone pulled that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a shame. Sorry to hear it, um, folks. I certainly hope that you did not follow my um, ref link earlier. I will be making sure um, that I take down that tweet as soon as possible. Oh, you're we're getting other word from Richard right now that it was in fact a bot that had pulled that liquidity. So crazy, very hard. We'll of course follow this and keep you up to date on our Tuesday show. Um, as developments come in, but hopefully Richard can stay in the chat and give us updates throughout the show if there are additional things that come out about this. Um, as we were just about to get into, there's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of value locked in this ecosystem in Phantom, which is what we were here to talk about initially. And what we want you to understand is that it's not necessarily about 
at least from our perspective, these specific parts of the ecosystem where you can find TVL, it's where the opportunity is. So because it's so difficult to really find your way into Phantom and the ecosystem itself, you have a really big opportunity here because as these as the signs start to flash that Phantom is having a moment right now, that trickle down is natural. It's going to happen. More and more money is going to flow into the Phantom ecosystem. So we want to talk about a couple of projects that we think need to be on your radar within the Phantom ecosystem because it's very tested, very proven at this point that Phantom is here to stay. So we're going to start with exchanges. So these are all the DEXs that you can basically exchange for other tokens on the Phantom blockchain. So there are three exchanges we want to bring to your attention this week, and they are Spooky Swap, which trades under Boo, Spirit Swap, which trades under Spirit, and Sushi Swap, that trades under Sushi. Now, Chris, I didn't know if you know this, but Sushi Swap actually is a cross-chain slash multi-chain DEX. You can utilize the SushiSwap platform on the Ethereum blockchain. I believe you can use it on... Is it on Avalanche? The Polygon blockchain, definitely on Avalanche and also on Phantom. So to me, I still believe that SushiSwap is one of the most undervalued DEXs out there. Uh, but Completely agree, by the way. But the reason that I'm bringing up um, SpookySwap and SpiritSwap in particular is because of something we're going to talk about later. And that is at the end of this segment, talking about V3,3, which is an upcoming project that is going to look at a lot of these protocols um, from both a usage standpoint and what you um, hold. And they're going to be airdropping their tokens to holders of tokens in the Phantom ecosystem. So Spooky Swap and Spirit Swap need to be on your radar because they are in the top 25 coins in the Phantom ecosystem right now. Then within DeFi, the tokens and projects that you should be aware of are Abracadabra, which of course is Daniele Sesta's project from the Avalanche Network, their cross-chain to Phantom. Popsicle Finance, which is another one of Daniele Sesta's projects. If you've heard of Daniele Sesta on this, on this channel, hit the like button because he was actually voted as one of our two people of the year last year. Great person to know in the space. Definitely keep an eye on him and all of his projects. Then you also have Tomb and T-Shares. Um, this is a staking protocol similar to that of Olympus DAO and Wonderland Time. And then last but not least, PaintSwap. Now, Chris, I want to mention this one to you because I think that you'll find it a little bit more interesting. I know you've been somewhat critical of the NFT space over time. But what PaintSwap is actually doing is they're providing more of like an NFT Fi situation. It's, and it's completely decentralized. So they're trying to basically be an automated market maker for the NFT world, um, which I find really interesting. So kind of like a truly decentralized OpenSea? Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what they're aiming for. Um, so I'm, I'm really quite fascinated by the tech that they're rolling out, but it's still very early innings for PaintSwap. But the reason why we're actually talking about all of this, which I alluded to earlier with V3.3, is not just Daniele, but the gentleman that you see pictured on screen right now, Andre Cronier, who is a longtime developer in the blockchain and crypto space. He has developed on a ton of the major pro, uh, projects that we've covered on this channel, but he also has his own project, which is Keeper V1 that trades under KP3R. Now, the tech on Keeper is a little bit difficult to understand, but it's important to understand that he has created a project here that has 
in a lot of ways, outperformed its rivals. Um, he was also one of the lead devs on Yearn Finance. Worth mentioning that. Interesting. But Yearn is, I believe at this point, cross-protocol. Keeper, I believe, is his project that is exclusively in the Phantom ecosystem. So holding Keeper will theoretically net you some of this airdrop token. Now, Chris, th- again, there was a reason that we were going through all these projects, and it was kind of a low-key reason for why we wanted to cover Phantom. And that is V33, the project that Andre Cronier and Daniele Sesta are working on together. This is a very secretive project that details are you know, currently trickling out about. Um, so it's important to understand that when Daniele gets himself into a project, it has a habit of going nuclear. Wait, do you want my uh, you want my conspiracy theory here? I would love a conspiracy theory, please. Uh, March third is when that project will drop. Why do you? Oh, you jerk! Also, a hundred percent is when it's going to drop. Um, it's not. It's coming out in the next month. That's what he wants you to it's, think. They've they've already made it public that it's coming this month. Um, we'll see. So, let me explain this to you, Chris, because I, I, I want you to understand what they're trying to do here. It's actually really quite novel because they're trying to completely revolutionize um, basically liquidity. So they're going to basically make it so that emissions um, incentivize fees instead of liquidity as a liquidity provider. So by their model, they're building specifically four protocols. So current automated market makers are primarily for LPs. This is natural because when most AMMs launched, token incentives did not exist. Today, AMMs are primarily for projects, either through token incentives, bootstrapping liquidity, or even protocol-owned liquidity. Other protocols are the new AMM users. Current AMMs need a few modifications to make it easy for protocols to leverage them. You have to be able to easily add token incentives to your liquidity, You need to be able to easily bribe token emissions onto your liquidity. You have to be able to accrue fees from liquidity that you incentivize. And you have to be able to permissionlessly deploy your liquidity. So all of the above in this project is doable without ever needing to message someone on Telegram, Discord, Twitter, and will never under any circumstance require a Zoom call. Right? That's what they're setting out to do. So they need to make sure that all of these protocols can communicate with each other. So with all of that in place, any protocol or project can easily incentivize their own liquidity, be it for their token, stablecoin, or even other derivatives. And while doing so, they fully accrue fees. So this is now a different way of putting your money to work for you as a liquidity provider and a different way to earn on what you are providing. Um, Basically, I mean, like they're trying to completely turn AMMs on their head, which is very novel. I mean, like to to say that the 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 curves of this world have been successful in what they've done is kind of shooting under, right? Curve is seen as massively successful, but there are a lot of logistical issues with it. Mm-hmm. This is trying to solve all the problems that Curve has. What do you think of everything that we just went through? Because again, there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah, I was just going to say it's a lot and I'm still kind of processing it. But I do agree with you that what those two are trying to do is very novel. And it's 
interesting and I want to see it succeed. But because of how kind of unique it is, how there's nothing else like it, I'm very interested to see how it develops and how it kind of rolls out. Because at the end of the day, it's all well and good to have these great ideas and even to have great developers behind it. But once you have you know, the Frog Army, which is Daniela's group of fans, all kind of flock over and start using it, I'll be interested to see if it can kind of hold up to that level of volume, things like that. I'm interested to see how it will scale, I guess, is the summary of what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, like, you, what you need to understand about Frog Nation too is that like their entire mission is to occupy DeFi. They want DeFi to be for everyone. They don't want it to be for VCs. So, talking about the initial distribution is why I wanted to make sure that everybody knew about those picks above within the exchanges and DeFi categories, because the way that they're going to be distributing this token is really, really interesting. So every week a potential new 2 million tokens are available as incentives on pools. These 2 million tokens are distributed based on the current voting weights of those said pools. With an initial distribution of zero, that means that currently no one can vote, which means no distribution can occur. So to kickstart the system, there has to be an initial distribution. So they went through a whole bunch of options and have decided basically on an ecosystem distribution. So before launch, they're going to take a TVL snapshot off of a platform called DeFi Llama, which tracks all the TVL for the entire ecosystem and even other ecosystems. And all of these locked tokens will be given to each project in the top 20 in terms of TVL on the Phantom blockchain. It's then up to each of these projects to create their pools and vote for their initial distribution or have their communities vote for their initial distribution. So it's up to them to decide what they will incentivize be it their own token, stablecoin, or other liquidity. And the timeline for this will be two weeks post-protocol launch until distribution starts. So it's coming up quickly. And that's the biggest message here. If you want to be engaged in this community and you want to take part in the next wave of DeFi, these guys are going to be like lighting the candle underneath it. So I would keep a very close eye on this project. I'd follow Daniele. I would follow Andre Cronier. And make sure that you stay informed on this stuff because as they build this out, they're going to continue to incentivize and encourage involvement in these protocols. Yeah. I mean, one final thought there is even if you're hesitant to get into this or hesitant to kind of, you know, really dive deep into DeFi, at the very least, I highly recommend following Daniela because he's been in the space for, you know, a few Ever. years now and he is. He is breaking the mold and doing things in DeFi that not only did people not think were possible, but just no one even thought of in the first place. Like he is doing things and making people like not just uber wealthy people a lot of money. He's making everyone a lot of money in ways that literally did not exist two years ago. So follow him, check him out at the very least because Daniela does just really cool things. He's a very smart guy and he seems to have good intentions. So hopefully he keeps doing that. We don't have to lead a witch hunt after him. Yeah, I was going to say, as opposed to whoever it is that rug pulled um, fees.wtf. Yep. Yep. Well, look, guys, that has been another great segment of Two Bulls, One Coin. We appreciate you sticking with us through it. I know it was not the Two Bulls, One Coin that we typically do around here where we like to 
break down a coin, let you know whether or not it's a shit coin or a legit project. But we're trying to take a new direction for 2022 with two bowls, one coin in covering more of the projects that you're interested in. So if you have a project that you're interested in that you'd like us to break down for you, um, get into kind of the, the greater details. Let us know in the comments or feel free to contact me on Twitter. You can follow me at Steve Miller underscore PHX or you can follow Chris at It's Mikis. That's I-T-S-M-E-C-H-I-S or you can follow our other co-host Richard Carthon at Richard Carthon. So there's only one thing left to do this week, guys, and that is move into our final segment and that is none other than The Aftershock. For the aftershock, you may be wondering what this segment is about. And this segment, of course, has nothing other to, other than to do with the biggest news of the week, the descending shockwaves around the world of crypto. And there is no bigger story this week than what is seemingly happening all over the world. And that is these massive shifts in global monetary policy. And we're even going to get into some of the domestic monetary policy shifts that are happening here in the United States. But the big one right off the cuff is a report out by the IMF research team who's, who's issued a report seemingly flipping crypto neutral or at least slightly bullish when it comes to their viewpoint of crypto. These economists have warned, warned of a contagion risk due to growing correlations between markets in the report, though. I find that kind of laughable. And then also that countries with heavy crypto adoption could see incre- increased instability. Altogether, you can read that as negative. But the reality of what they're saying is, is that they are coming to terms with the fact that crypto is here to stay and that it's starting to move in tandem with the rest of markets. Chris, do you have any initial feeling about this or want to talk up what we have in the graphic on the left? Um, so as a professional data analyst, I can say I get why they published that study. However, it's incredibly biased and their analysis of it is stupid. Because they're looking at the United States stocks and Bitcoin and seeing how closely they correlate and are moving together. And they said, oh, there was an increase during the pandemic. Well, what they failed to leave out is that there was also a massive spike in retail trading during the pandemic on platforms like Coinbase and Robinhood, for example. So because of the stimulus checks that went out, a lot of people you know, in their early 20s, maybe they're still in college, started retail investing. They were investing in stocks, but they were also investing in crypto. And so this increased correlation is probably directly tied to that increase in retail trading because you were seeing so many of the same people trading stocks and trading cryptos, but also Bitcoin more particularly at the same time. So I think I get why they put it together. But seeing it as a risk is stupid because the there's a clear correlation, a clear cause for that correlation. And I don't think it's a risk. It's just a product of the times we live in. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with you. Um, I think that, that what they're trying to do is they're trying to almost like give backhanded compliments here, um, which is interesting. But in any event, what you need to remember about this is that the IMF historically has been tremendously anti-crypto. Why? because they control all of international money, right? And the way that different countries legislate on their monetary policy. Yeah, it's, one, it's an interesting flip. One quick note there for, um, for our American viewers, right? If you're not familiar with the IMF, stands for International Monetary Fund. 
they partner directly with the World Bank to basically be the bank of the world. But what they really mean by the world is not first world countries. So typically, the IMF is responsible for designating countries as third world or second world countries or first world countries. When countries need bailouts, typically, you know, you can go to the IMF, you can go to the World Bank, they will help you finance, figure out a way to do it. So it's something that for most Americans, you will never think of the IMF or World Bank because the reality is they will never be involved in the United States for the sole reason that our GDP is more than they are worth. So just to give everyone a little background, that's what the IMF is, that's what the World Bank is, and that's their primary function. Like Steve was saying, right? Like they control, you know, essentially the traditional financial markets in dozens of countries. So by decentralizing everything and moving to crypto, you are directly taking power and taking kind of purpose away from these organizations. So there's no real shock here that they would be anti-crypto. Yeah. So I happen to be with you. But the next one is actually a story that you really wanted to make sure was in here. And that is that the Hong Kong Monetary Authority also is aiming to oversee stablecoin reserves. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know about this? Yeah. So this was actually a report or an article that came out yesterday. I think the actual report from the Hong Kong Monetary Authority was from a few days ago. Write-up came yesterday. But essentially, they're saying that they're okay with stablecoins, with crypto. They have no issue with it. However, they do want to oversee stablecoin reserves. And in the same way in the United States that, you know, in theory, if you are a bank or you're a stablecoin issuer, you have to have a certain amount of liquidity. In theory, it's 100% liquidity backing up what you're offering. And that's kind of, at least my understanding, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, sorry, um, they are kind of aiming to do something similar where they want to make sure that these stablecoin issuers are you know, actually as liquid as they are providing. Because then you get into an issue where oh, you're only 50% liquid, then that means you're actually not worth a dollar, for example, per stablecoin, but it's 50 cents. And so I think it's a good thing. And my actual best takeaway from this is they put like an open note at the end and they said, you know, we want crypto people, we're putting this out in the open. If you're, you know, an executive, if you're a developer, analyst, etc., come to us and weigh in. Give us your opinion so that when we write up this policy over the next year or so, that we can make sure it is fleshed out and it's going to be effective for all parties. And I really like that because they're pushing for more regulation, but also at the same time admitting, you know, we don't necessarily know everything there is to know. We don't necessarily know what's best. So we want you to work with us because it'll benefit you know, us. It'll benefit Hong Kong. And it also benefit the developers and the companies that come here and work in this space. That to me was the biggest takeaway. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting to see the way that you know the globe is shifting when it comes to crypto, right? Um, and again, if you have any questions about this, please feel free to jump into the comments or the chat. Um, we're more than happy to clarify on any and all of this. The biggest things, though, at least in my opinion, again, this may just be that I'm kind of a homer. I really like to see what's developing here at home in the U.S is these additional shifts in our domestic monetary policy. So to move this thing forward, um, we had a really interesting development actually just yesterday. 
Um, and that is that Senator Emmer, who is the Republican senator out of um, Minnesota, has announced that he's going to be proposing to ban the Federal Reserve from issuing CBDCs to consumers. Now, a lot implicated here. But the big things are that he is in this proposal citing their massive privacy and surveillance concerns um, related with CBDCs coming from the Fed. Biggest of which is that it's a slippery, so, slippery slope toward requiring consumers to register accounts with a central bank to then access money. So he's directly citing what's going on in China right now with the digital yuan because they have officially issued a CBDC, but because the country can now track every single financial transaction of its populace, that can set up a very black mirror situation, right? Um, so to me, I think there's a lot at play here, but I just wanted to like, stamp out one other piece. If this legislation were to fail and the Fed were able to issue a CBDC, it would basically offer convenience and efficiency when paying taxes or receiving stimulus payments, right? Big pro. But theoretically, Americans would transfer all of these deposits to the Fed, leaving commercial banks without capital to lend. There's a couple of things here, right? <laughs> The biggest of which is if this were to happen, it would ruin the banking system. Yeah. So there are, that's definitely a piece of it, but there are kind of two pieces here. And one is a little more big picture, right? I mean, clearly the, the headline is definitely that this Republican senator from Minnesota is proposing to ban CBDCs. But that language, him coming out trying to ban it, a lot of that is politicking. And you see that kind of later on, like we were saying, right? And his reasoning behind it saying that it's a slippery slope, there's privacy concerns, centralization concerns, right? It gives too much power to the government. Realistically, he's taking such a far, you know, hardline ban stance because the other side, people who want this in the government here in the United States will come out and say, well, we want them. And so the compromise will then be he will probably, he and his constituents will probably try and make it so basically all his concerns are addressed and that you don't have to register an account to receive this money and that it doesn't leave the banks out to dry. Because interestingly enough, the United States back in the 1800s actually did have a central bank, but under Andrew Jackson, he dissolved the US bank and that led to kind of the banking system we have today, which is you know, essentially a, I guess, consortium of private banks that in theory, make up you know our financial system. In theory, they're also backed by the Federal Reserve. But so this is interesting to me because it is a direct swap from how we've been for 150 years, right? We're going away from this more democratization of letting all these companies kind of operate as banks back to there's a central United States bank. And I don't think that is going to fly with a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle for the reason being that it kind of screws everything up and puts way too much power in the Fed's hands. So if the Fed goes down, then the entire US economy will actually collapse if this were to happen. Yeah, I mean, look, I've got a, I've got a much bigger problem with the whole like centralizing for a CBDC. but. Altogether, I think there is one positive out of this, and that's that by bringing this up, 
right? And actually putting it on the floor of the Senate at some point in the next couple of weeks. Senator Emmer is moving up the timeline on meaningful legislation and regulation for the crypto space. Because while a lot of people like to get caught up in the fact that American regulation of cryptocurrency bad, it really isn't. Because regulation is really just the validator saying this is going to be here for a while, right? They only regulate that which is the future. So to me, I personally am kind of bullish on this just because it means that we're going to have this conversation sooner rather than later. And when there's a later conversation, it always makes me really nervous. Because that means more and more and more negative can come up and more and more pundits can make their voices heard between now and that time. Yeah, and I think uh, kind of just going a little more so, just kind of looking, I guess, at the headline, right? Like it's saying that it's banning the Federal Reserve from issuing CBDCs to consumers. What it doesn't say, though, is that it wouldn't ban the Federal Reserve from issuing CBDCs to banks and then allowing them to kind of distribute CBDCs. So that to me is interesting and always the way I thought it would go, right? Where essentially the US would create, you know, essentially true stable coin where they'd probably split the currency in half or half would still be hard fiat. The other half would be a digital US dollar. So I'm interested to see where this goes. I agree with you though, Steve, that you know conversation earlier is better because the people that are bringing up this conversation now either A, are well-informed so they understand it or B, just kind of want to get it dealt with, right? They don't want to keep pushing it off and they are invested in you know, kind of successful regulation. Successful regulation being regulations and laws that don't kind of hinder it or hamper the progression, but they actually just create a better framework for you know, that product to succeed in the country. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I'm really happy that they're prioritizing it, right? Same. Because that means yeah. they're starting to prioritize crypto at large and more of that's going to become like an actual bipartisan issue here in the near term. Um, but there is one other piece that's actually going on right now in domestic monetary policy. And it's not necessarily making it to the policy level yet, but it's very unique. And that is that there has been this consortium announced that's going under the name USDF Consortium. And it's a group of banks that have come together in the US to collaborate on a bank-backed stablecoin. Now, the reason why this is really pertinent when we're considering what a CBDC would technically bring is that if we really thought about it hard, a bank-backed stablecoin brings really unique benefits to the market. So the founding members behind this include Newark Community Bank, NBH Bank, First Bank, Sterling National Bank, and Sinovis Bank. Important, really thing, the really important things to know about this is that all these banks are FDIC insured. That means every single dollar is backed. So their goal is to offer a more secure stablecoin for US based consumers while addressing regulatory concerns, like what we just mentioned from Congressman, so not, not Congressman, Senator Emmer, right? So you, but here's the, where I start to get hung up because all in principle, like this actually sounds okay to me. But here's where we go sideways. This new stablecoin would theoretically be developed on the provenance blockchain by Figure Technologies. So, Chris, how much do you know about provenance blockchain? A negative one on a scale of one to 10. Okay. Let me spell it out like this. Provenance blockchain, 
from how I've come to understand it, is a very private blockchain, meaning that the people that run it are the ones that have visibility into it. Shocking. It's almost like the people that made the graph made provenance blockchain. So what is your take on this? Like, Do you think that a a US bank-backed stablecoin is a good idea? I don't think it's the worst, right? The way I look at it is it's kind of good, right? And it's good in the sense it creates healthy competition for current stablecoin issuers. Because globally speaking, the closest stablecoin in existence to a true stablecoin is USDC. They're at about 80% liquidity. I think the next highest is Tether and they're anywhere from 60 to 70 on any given day. So having a true one-to-one back stablecoin, yes, you're going to have some lack of transparency. It's not going to be decentralized, although no stablecoin really is for the most part. Um, It kind of creates a healthy competition because it's going to force these other stablecoin issuers to actually back up their stablecoins one-to-one, which will create more security for all holders and users of those stablecoins. And you can essentially look at it this way, right? Where your circles, your tethers of the world, right? They're a private bank essentially offering a loan. Whereas this US bank-backed stablecoin would be the government offering you a loan, right? Where it is insured, you know it's, you know, that you know they're good for it. Whereas a private loan, eh, you could kind of get screwed if you're not careful. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it, right? It's two sides of the same coin. There are pros, there are cons, but at the end of the day, you know, you want more competition because by allowing this to happen, if it goes up in flames, then we know it doesn't work. But without trying, we never know that it couldn't work. And for all we know, this could actually be better than the current stablecoin system that we have, right? Yeah, I mean, technically. I'm, so let's, let's wrap this up with one other question because I'm curious about what you think of it. I'm still formulating my opinion. Would a USDF be better than a true US CBDC? Hmm. The way I think about it is similar to the analogy I just gave, where a USDF backstable coin would be like trying to think of how to put this. Essentially, the difference between these two is who controls the, you know, who actually has the power there, right? A US-backed CBDC, well, the US government has power there, right? They're in control of it. The USDF as backed stablecoin, on the other hand, it's these banks. So New York Community Bank, MBH Bank, First Bank, etc., they have the power. And so it's essentially, okay, you put it in the hands of a government and politicians who we know are all corrupt. Sorry for any fans of a given politician. Chances are, as nice as they seem, they're very corrupt, right? So except except for Cynthia Loomis. Yeah, except for Cynthia Loomis. She's great. Love you, Cynthia. But um, to me, this just kind of boils down to it's kind of the devil you do, the devil you don't here. You need to decide... Would you rather have a similar, you know, essentially this stablecoin would function similar to the current US banking system where you have 
a few large banks that dominate the entire financial system. They provide liquidity, loans, uh, security, etc. to the US dollar. Yes, it is backed by the Federal Reserve, but they don't really distribute it on a daily basis, right? They're just in the shadows. The actual ones running the show are the big banks in the United States. And this is going to be similar, right? US-backed CBDC, the government runs the show directly and you know it. They will have an appointed head of the currency. Whereas with this USDF consortium, they are going to be kind of sharing that power amongst a few people. So it's more spread out. It's more democratized. You need to decide, is that more of what you want? Or do you want more of government? Ugh. I was going to say, I think you said it right. It really is the devil you do and the devil you don't, right? So to me, I only see one benefit of what you've got with USDF, and I'll leave it here. And that's that, do you want a group of five banks surveilling you or do you want your government surveilling you? So let's go ahead and leave it at that for right now. If you have any comments on what we've gone over here with this whole monetary policy shift, please let us know in the comments. If you liked this, the way that we covered this news and how it's affecting the entire crypto landscape, please press that like button for us and let us know. Um, we're going to wrap things up here though. But, um, but before we go, we got to talk about what to watch for. What to watch for. So Chris, in the week ahead, of course, we've got brand new content coming for you up on crypto-current.co. But we also have some brand new interviews upcoming. So tomorrow we have an interview um, with Paul Lee. So Richard is sitting down with Paul Lee from Synesis One, the really interesting AI play, um, which I think has a lot of legs to run. Very interesting project. If you did miss last Monday's interview, that was with Vincent Orlek from the SoMeta podcast. Really interesting interview that I got to host with him. Um, but next week, Chris, do you know what interview we have on Monday? Yeah. So on Monday, we have Justin Caswell with Revofi. Um, I don't know much about what's going to be going on there. So like all of you listening and all of you watching, I too will be tuning in and learning all about Revofi while Richard sits down with Justin Caswell. So, so really excited little, for that. Yeah. Let me give you a little teaser. Okay. Because I think you're really going to Oh, like wait. This. Actually, I do, I, I'm an idiot. Yeah, this is, know what it this is. This is, <laughs> this is, um, this is helium, but Wi-Fi. So essentially, it's, uh, it's, it's what helium is eventually going to do. But they're doing it faster because they're just starting with Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I actually looked at their hotspot. And I'm interested to see... I need, I need to see more before I kind of decide to jump in because I already have internet and it is a true Wi-Fi router. So I don't know how that would really work. Well, again, it's going to be a really interesting interview. I see them... Like when we talked about the breaking news piece earlier with how um, Elrond acquired Utrust, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this is a prime candidate for acquisition Helium. by Helium. So we'll have to see how this one develops. I'm excited to hear more about it. But we have an opportunity here to end in under an hour. So thank you for following along with us. We're going to try to end this one right on the dot. But come back and join us next week. Damn it, it's an hour. Um, we failed, Chris. We failed. And for everyone listening, stay crypto current. We'll see you next time, guys. Yeah.